Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Matters worse. Um, 
well, our boss is in town, uh, like our boss's boss's boss, and let's just say she's in town from California, all right? And let's just say her name is Cheryl. I had an encounter with Cheryl today, and it was completely unpleasant, as unpleasant an encounter as you can have with a boss aside from getting yelled at for not doing your job, which would have made sense. This was completely irrational. Let me just get into what happened. All right, so I'm so glad that James Conrad is here tonight, by the way, because his book is about being mistreated in the work environment and uh, a man who partakes in a class action suit against that type of behavior. Uh, Oh, that's right. Did I even mention who the guest is tonight? Look how frazzled I am from this event today. All right, so tonight on the show we have my buddy, my good old friend, known for like 20 years or something, James Conrad. Uh, author of the popular e-books, The Ideal Man, and the new book, Copperhead. Copperhead was the book I was discussing just now. So I'm on this diet, right, and uh, trying to lose weight, build muscle, trying to get, you know, try and get more like Justin Timberlake than um, than than Mario Lopez, if, if you will, uh, trying to get lean, you know. So... I've been on this diet called Nutrisystem, which is very effective if you do it properly. Now, I've been on and off for a while, and today was kind of my big return to the diet from a weekend of disaster. <laughs> Not disaster, but uh, a, a weekend of uh, um, alcohol and dominoes and stuff. So today I was returning to my diet. I cooked my breakfast with no problem at work. Uh, and I microwaved this vegetarian bacon for my uh, protein serving. No one said anything except uh, one of the attorneys at the firm said, oh, I thought it smelled like bacon. Um, And then for my 11 o'clock snack, where I'm supposed to eat six times a day, uh, I once again, for the protein serving, because you're supposed to have a protein serving and a fruit serving, I did the vegetarian bacon. However, at this time, I guess I overcooked the bacon, and the smell was permeating through the office. I didn't think anything of it at first. My coworkers were saying, oh, what would you do to the office? And just kind of joking around with me. And then my supervisor comes up and is like, hey, Cheryl wants to see you. And I thought he was kidding. And I, I, it took me like a few of times of him saying that to finally understand she actually did want to see me. So I go into her office and she, I smile. She looks at me with the most evil eyes I've ever seen in an employer. And she says, where do you go off cooking breakfast at 11 in the morning? And I was like laughing because I thought she was kidding because any logical person would take that as a joke. And then she was like, I don't find it funny. So immediately I shut down and I was like, I'm really sorry. And she's like, I don't understand what you're thinking. You know, you go, you, you, you get breakfast in the morning, and then you sit at your desk until your lunch hour. What are you doing making breakfast at 11 o'clock in the morning? And we all have to deal with it, and everyone's passing out, passing out at their desks, and everyone's getting sick. I'm getting sick over here. And I was like, I'm very sorry. Meanwhile, you know, I didn't talk back to her, but there was not one person who was passing out at his or her desk. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. And, uh, she was like, I'm all for dieting and you want to diet, you can diet. But if you, you know, if you're going to do it, you gotta, you know, this means that you're getting up six times a day to cook your food. I don't understand. All right, fine. So we'll give you five minutes here and there. If you want to cook, it just can't be that. It can't be that food. 
And eventually she gets to the point when she understands that maybe she's being a bit crazy about not letting me get up from my desk to, and the fact that <laughs> I don't understand, it's really hard for me to make any sense out of this because it didn't make any sense. All I know is that it felt very abusive. I felt very beaten up and berated in my work environment by my boss. And um, that's the first, like, actual encounter I've had with her. I've met her before. At the end of it, she says, nice to meet you. Keep in mind, I've been working for this woman for two years now. She says, nice to meet you. Um, uh, I'm just, I'm still in a very frazzled state about this. And then it, it became like the great fake bacon caper of 2012, the, the great fake caper. I, I cannot believe that that happened. Um, and so she yells at me for like five minutes, and then my supervisor's supervisor is also in there, uh, so she's like one under him. And he was laughing like I was laughing. She kept saying, it's not funny, it's not funny. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, can, you can't be doing this because then it's going to affect the whole office, and where do you go off making breakfast? By the end of it, she said, I can see you're distraught over this, and that, you know, you're a nice guy, and I'm glad we had this conversation, because and then I was like, I'm, I'm terribly sorry about the smell. And she was like, no, we're good now. It was insane. I, it was insane. I wonder if I would have felt more gratified if I had gotten fired over cooking the bacon than I actually felt from uh, having that conversation and ending it well. Uh, you know, it was, it was kind of the opposite of my normal meetings. My normal meetings start off fine and end horribly. This one started off horribly and ended up fine with a nice little relationship formed. However, who knows when she sees the, the work that I've done, who knows what she's going to say about me after that. Uh, this had nothing to do at all with my job or anything. If she's going to attack me on that, fine. But she attacks me because it's inappropriate to cook breakfast at 11 a.m., which I wasn't even doing. It was like the mid-morning mid snack that Nutrisystem says that you should have with a fruit serving and a protein serving. So I learned my lesson. I'm not ever going to bring that crap to work again. In fact, it's good. It's Morningstar Farms. If any of you have had Morningstar Farms, it is good product, you know. Uh, the, their, their sauces, their vegetarian sauces, taste better than actual sauces to me. Their bacon, um, it's not as good as their sauces. Also, I kind of burnt it, so it kind of smelled. As one person said, it smelled like burnt peanut butter. So for the rest of the day today, I was really on edge, and I think I yelled at a friend of mine I wouldn't normally do, and he, it didn't seem to bother him, but he kept reminding me about it, and I apologized profusely, and I did, you know... Violence only begats more violence is all I can say. Uh, that shit really made me feel a certain way. Um, and just a reminder, we, we've got Matt, uh, we've got James Conrad coming up in like five seconds. Uh, wanted to vent, just let you all know that I'm feeling some kind of way. I'm glad that we have James on tonight, given the topic of his book. Um, so let's, uh, let's see, what else is going on? The Olympics? Yeah. How about that? I, you know, I'm a little surprised that Michael Phelps didn't do better over the weekend. I hope that he kind of redeems himself. And um, But how about that Ryan Lott? Is one How's it going? How man? are you, sir? 
I'm okay. How are you? All right. Yeah. I was, was listening to your, your voice. story earlier. I'm sorry? Was that a true story earlier? Yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> Actually, I'd rather not, but I feel... <laughs> Let's just say that given what I've uh, had to deal with, and, you know, some of that's in the book, I'm, you know, not surprised, but, I mean, it's just amazing what people get incredibly irrational over, especially when they're in a position of power, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, and I'm I'm coming off dealing with that today, and I'm so glad you're on tonight so we can talk about that sort of thing. And let's just uh, talk a little bit about your, your book. Your book, the protagonist in your book is named John Greger. And what's he doing? He's working a bunch of different jobs, and, and he keeps on running into trouble, right? That's about the size of it. Okay. Um, keeps running into trouble with employers who are uh, on a power trip or who mistreat employees or things keep going awry. Um, so what uh, what kind of – give me the the gist of what happens later on in the book when your character – um, actually uh, takes action on on this abuse? Well, uh, you know, uh, basically he uh, uses the system against them pretty much. Mm-hmm. And this actually, I mean, like uh, I was watching a documentary about the sex pistols the other night, and, you know, Johnny Rotten said the sex pistols happened because they should have happened. For me, yeah, that was the case uh, writing Copperhead on so, so many levels. But it was a book that I wrote because I should have written it. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. I, it was actually something I've been toying with for years. Um, and I guess what happened was, uh, I, I might as well just come clean and admit it, I had to actually live the story, I guess, to necessitate writing the book, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And these were so and like a lot autobiographical of, uh, in a way. In a way, but you'd be surprised as how much, you know, so-called, I mean, they say truth is stranger than, than fiction, and Hunter Thompson was certainly a proponent of that notion, but you'd be surprised as to how much uh, so-called fiction actually is based very much on the truth. Like, for example, you know, Jim Thompson, you know, he got his start with his, you know, he practiced uh, rewriting murder news stories from the killer's point of view, which, you Mm -hmm. know, that was sort of his training ground for, you know, novels like The Killer Inside Me and Population 1280. And, uh, you know, Last Exit to Brooklyn, you know, Henry uh, Hubert Selby Jr. referring to the... uh, drug-taking transvestite, I knew Georgie, or Georgette, you know, mm-hmm. whichever persona that character adopted throughout uh, the story of uh, The Queen is Dead. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> truth can be quite a lot. I mean, like something that happened today to me, I you can't make that up because it just doesn't make any sense. Oh, so that thing um, you were talking about earlier, that happened today? Yeah, it happened today. That's why I'm still so frazzled about it. <laughs> oh, God damn. Sounds like I'm on, the, I'm on the right time, eh? Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you what, if anyone wants to call in and ask James a question, the call-in number is 917-388-4131. I'll say that again, 917-388-4131, and just press 1 to let us know you want to talk to us. 
Also, you can tweet your questions to Blazing Rye Radio or uh, join the chat room, log in through your Facebook, Twitter, or Blog Talk Radio account, and um, you can ask questions right there in that chat room. Uh, okay, so James, does this this thing where where somebody starts a class action suit against employer mistreatment does, has that happened in real life? Well, um, I spent a uh, an appreciable deal of 2009 and 2010 either preparing for a civil action or entrenched in a civil action, and you know for the most part. They, these were civil actions that I initiated. Actually, I think the one I didn't initiate was the class action lawsuit that I was – I mean, at first I was reluctant to get into it because I didn't uh, – I didn't have any personal problems with that specific place I, I worked, even though they terminated me. I mean, I, and I thought it was fair. I don't really want to talk much about my uh, departure from that place. But, you know, I was broke at the time, so I needed the money. So, you know, and they, and they were just trying to cover their asses, which I respect. And, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, the other things like uh, the uh, calling the labor department, calling the health department, uh, there was no epic trial scene in real life as there is towards the end of Copperhead. But I did sue one person who did lie about it. Well, it, it came across that way, let's just say. I mean, why did I have to hear something that my boss said that she said when I know what I did was different, you know? I mean, it, it, this is a story, I mean, like, I want to say about, you know, I don't have it in front of me, but I could easily, you know, point out that a lot of these things, you know, did sort of happen. It's just that I made certain changes in the interest of artistic license. I mean, uh, John Greger, guy, you know, very similar to me. He's got the same star sign, except his birthday is January 13th. I just figured that'd be a good touch, considering the fickle nature of luck. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Capricorn, he's got a double middle name. Um, and his father has like a, uh, you know, math, very, very math-oriented job. And, you know, but I decided to make him more accomplished and more disciplined than I am, because uh, one thing I've learned through my observations of, you know, situations and people, sometimes close friends of mine, sometimes things are more high profile. You know, sometimes even the best and the brightest get stitched up, set up, and fucked over. And, you know, they don't deserve that at all. And that decision to make uh, my character more disciplined and accomplished than myself, I mean, I think that was consolidated when I saw that documentary about uh, Bud Dwyer, the uh, treasurer of Pennsylvania, who um, was railroaded in a bribery scandal and driven to commit public suicide, like in front of a whole room full of cameras. And there's still, you know, uh, the, the uh, footage is still circulate, circulating around the Internet, you know. Wow. Yeah, it's oh, that's sure. that's crazy. That's the guy who he, he, like, shot himself, right, like in, in the middle of, uh, like, a, a public hearing or something, right? It was, a, it was a press conference where he gave a speech, uh, they were expecting his resignation. I guess, you know, he left his office, in a manner of speaking, obviously. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, his, yeah, his last words were, don't, 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 this will hurt someone. And that was it. Jesus. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it really kind of shook my notion of, you know, because we're, we're taught at school that America is the greatest country on earth. But it's like, as you know, you and I, we're both about the same age. As you and I have gotten older, we've noticed, 
that in American society there are a lot of deficiencies. I mean, you know, we've got other countries that are way ahead of us in terms of, uh, you know, health care and in terms of, uh, you know, the quality of education. Now, I could be wrong, but... Uh, you know some of the some of these countries in question. I mean, I you know I might have to Google this later on, but we, you know, I, I it, could it be possible that something might be in the in the third world? I mean, it's you know, yeah. I mean, the way and also yeah. the way workers are treated in, in America is a fucking disgrace. You know, yeah, really. Well, you're definitely not wrong. Have you have you seen the uh, the show The Newsroom at all? The new HBO show. I don't really get a chance to watch much TV. I did, however, watch that movie um, Network with Peter Finch and uh, Faith okay. Carraway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And that's right. kind well, of along what those I felt the Occupy protests were about. Right, right. And along those same lines, the first uh, episode of the newsroom, Jeff Daniels plays this news anchor like a – um, Peter Jennings or Tom Brokaw or uh, right. I would even venture to say Edward R. Murrow in, in his case and the, it's written by Aaron Sorkin who always writes very stylized kind of dialogue and mm. the very first scene of the newsroom is Jeff Daniels is at a college with a few other like prominent news people and um, it's like him and then two political people going back and forth and he's kind of staying neutral and then this girl in the crowd asks why do you think that America is the greatest country in the world? And then he goes on this diatribe about how it's not the greatest country in the world because of the very things that you were just saying. And some of the places that he was listing were third world places that are above us in certain areas. Um, so, you know, I mean, it depends. it's all about opinion and perception, but um, numbers-wise, right, you do have a point there. Well I, well, I only, you know, phrased it in the form of a question, Um uh, I'll take more American bullshit for a thousand, Alex. Uh, <laughs> I phrased it in the form of a question on account of the fact that I, you know, wanted to see who was listening and see, you know, well, I also didn't want to make myself look like a jackass by making a uh, cold, hard statement that I knew nothing about. And, you right. know, it's just you see all these facts and figures and everything. I, and, and, you know, when I see stuff on the news, I try to corroborate it from at least three to five sources to make sure that I'm, you know, getting an educated uh, and objective and balanced perspective on the story for myself. And, you know, which is why I, you know, see articles like in Yahoo, but I also check out Huffington Post. And, you know, I've got a lot of people because it's just, it seems like the mainstream media has, you know, they've not only surrendered objectivity, but they've also surrendered reason. But they probably surrendered reason a very, very, very long time ago, probably, you know, dating back to uh, the uh, yellow journalism of the uh, early 20th century and, you know, maybe even a bit before. But then again, you know, plus they change, plus they on them shows. Mm-hmm. Would you say, James, that you wrote this book as a um, kind of a, a way to to stand up for people who are mistreated um, as you have been? Or was this more of a personal thing that you had to get out just for Oh, it was a little of both. I mean, you know, being involved in that lawsuit throughout 2010 where I was suing because I'd lost, you know, a good chunk of money because someone spread bullshit about me, um, you know, it 
it was only after I'd finished writing Copperhead that I'd recovered from the uh, stress of that. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's like one thing I've learned that when you're entrenched in civil action, I mean, you have this, uh, you, you know, you, you kind of go in and you kind of go between fearfulness and fearlessness, you know. And, you know, like, for example, um, when, you know, you're, you know, your ex-boss is counter-appealing for a, uh, you know, because you won the claim with EDD against her, her claim of, uh, you know, unsatisfactory job performance, you know, and she's the one telling you to reuse plastic gloves. You have documentation about this. You know, basically this is someone who, a boss, you know, saying mm-hmm. if you don't break the law, you're fired. Well, you know, if that comes up at the appeals hearing, well, you know, it's over. So, you know, you do get that bit, those bits of emboldenment, but there are times when you just want it to be done with. And, sure. you know, and, and especially like playing the waiting game. The waiting game fucking sucks when you're uh, entrenched in civil action and litigation and everything like that. And, you know, I don't – and, I mean, I have to say, even though I'm happy that I prevailed and I make no compunctions about being vindictive about it, I still do not wish – for anyone to be in uh, litigation for even 10 seconds. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you at liberty to say uh, anything about how that lawsuit turned out? We settled out of court, and that's really all I'm going to say about that. I mean, another reason why I, uh, you know, made good use of the artistic license, and, you know, obviously the bulk of the people in Copperhead are people I know or knew. And, um, you know, I didn't want it to be a straight memoir because there's too many people that I would inflame and too many people that I would re- really rather not because, you know, especially since they were on my side. And, you know, I just mm-hmm. didn't want to, you know, because, I mean, let's just say that, you know, what I was involved in was embarrassing enough for myself. I mean, at least I was glad I was able to have a sense of humor about it. And, you know, I, I actually enjoy this novel better than my first. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Ideal Man I did a damn good job on, and I mm-hmm. still like it a lot. But this one is more from the heart. It's got a punchier open lo- opening line. The subject matter is a bit more appealing. I also, you know, because I was not really allowed as many opportunities for sex and violence as I was with my first novel, what I had mm-hmm. to do was go for broke with funny situations and funny dialogue. But I'm glad that I didn't have to look long because the situations I was uh, – enmeshed in were absurd and the people I was dealing with were absurd. It was absurd, absurd, absurd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can relate. Um, now well, this, yeah, you so, just had something like some shit like that happen today. Yeah, I wonder where the planets I know we're in Mercury retrograde right now, but I wonder where the planets are that you have, you know, we're talking about this <laughs> book that's dealing there with is, work trouble and you've got your shit going on yourself. I think there's something, it's it must be something about the heat. I think the heat is making people crazy. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, something well, you know, this is why I, I, you know, often try to, you know, stay indoors or in the shade for the bulk of the day. I mean, it, you know, out in San Jose, it's been, uh, well, I don't remember the last time we had this fucking rain, man. Oh, yeah? That sucks. And uh, here's I mean, rain bad out too, in Colorado. But... I saw, like, this guy, he's holding up this corn, you know, no bigger than his thumb because it didn't pollinate on account of the drought. Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know, let's hope that we get some water. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, you say that your characters in this book are based on people in your life. Is this the Erasely character? Is that, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Is that based on somebody? Araceli. Araceli? Yeah. Well, she's kind of a composite, let's just say. Um, you know, like, and, and you know, you, like, one thing I will come clean about, yes, I did, you know, habitually get high before going to work as a telemarketer. But you want to know something? It paid for itself. It literally did. You know, <laughs> I, and I, you know, and I did the math about it later. You know, factoring in, you know, like the peak, you know, periods for when, you know, everyone was doing well, and I was often within the top top five, if not the top three. And the part in the book where John Greger comes in to the room full of trainees, stoned to the bone, and pulls down twelve hundred dollars. That actually that pretty much word for word how that happened with me. And what was your <laughs> boss's reaction? Oh, he, you know, he did not, he was a cool guy about it. And, uh, you know, it got to be a bit of a joke too, because I generally, you know, was, uh, well, at least I tried my best to still be lucid and functional. But again, how lucid and functional do you have to be to make a fucking phone call and read a goddamn script? You know, especially since, you know, you do have some kind of appreciation for the art form in and of itself. I mean, you know, and, you know, also through that job, I got to see Flower Drum Song with my niece, which, you know, gave me an appreciation for musicals, but I'm still very picky. Uh, and for the record, folks, Andrew Wood Weber sucks. Anyway, yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, he... He was like, you know, that's how it's done, training over, you know. I mean, he thought he thought it was uh, kind of funny, but obviously he warned me about being discreet because, you know, even in San Jose, some people still kind of get weird about the reefer, but I just, you know, I don't understand that. I mean, considering, you know, that, you know, you got a lot of drunks and also, unfortunately, a lot of, you know, meth heads and stuff around where I live. It's, oh, dear. You know. Yeah, well, yeah. Shout out Probably to uh, man. my coworker Matt Vasky, who's from Iowa, the meth head capital of the, the United States. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, they got all that wide open space out in the Midwest. Um, you know, because well, you know that way, I guess it's less of a fire hazard when someone you know makes a mistake and the thing goes kaplow. Mhm. True. So let's talk about you just said. Oh, actually, first let's talk about this. You said Andrew Lloyd Webber sucks, right? That that is what you said. Yeah, I, I just find him corny. I mean, you, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein were always way better for me, but you know, no one tops Gilbert and Sullivan as far as musical theater goes. You know, I saw Cats as a child and liked it at the Schubert New Haven, and. When I was living in California, um, when I lived in L.A. for two years, my friend Adam and I went to Cerritos uh, to see our friend Joanna Silvers in Cats. And I have no idea what I liked about it as a kid anymore. Like, the first, after the first number, my friend turned to me and was like, what the hell just happened? Wait, why is there a spaceship? And then, like, the uh, intermission struck, and he was like, you got to be kidding me. And the whole show is just, this is this cat, that's that cat, here's a homeless cat at the end. It's all horrible. Well, you're better off reading the book of poetry by T.S. Eliot. You know, right. that's and I masterful. understand that that's what it's based on, and that's probably why it's in that format, but the way that it was handled is just, I don't know, I thought it was awful. Yeah, you, know, you know, I mean, I, 
you know, my, 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 I never re- really was exposed to uh, much Andrew Lloyd Webber. In fact, I think if I recall, my mother probably steered us clear from it on purpose. Good old mom. Mm-hmm. Bless you, mom. Yeah. Love you. Doing, um, doing you a favor. Let's talk yeah. about the music that you, uh, so you um, use, your chapter titles are the names of different songs. I'm looking at the list in front of me. you got songs. Various people, lines from different songs, right. Sorry. So let's take your three favorite uh, chapter titles and and tell me um, why you chose them to be the titles of those chapters. Ooh-wee. Let me think for a minute about that. Sure. Um, Well, I guess, uh, well, I guess I'll start with the one that, you know, it gets, stuck in my head fairly regularly, the one, I don't care about you, fuck you. That's from a line from the song by Fear from the record. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just needed kind of a, uh, like, you know, know, because also I was listening to a lot of these songs as I was brainstorming it and also as I was living it because, you know, I mean, nothing, uh, you know, makes a, uh, nothing, you know, pushes a, uh, you know, online research about your legal rights along like suspect device by stiff little fingers, for example. But in the case of that, it's just, you know, well, why did I report that one boss to the health inspector? Well, um, for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, like I said before, I did not appreciate that I was being conscripted into breaking the law so that my boss could save a few pennies. That's number one. Number two, my niece ate there, you know, and that, I think, justifies my vindictiveness about that particular uh, gesture alone. And number three, sure. rhetorically speaking, because fuck you, that's why. And, right. you know, so I just, it just, you know, and it's kind of a short little chapter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking what else? Uh, the one with the uh, car conversation, um you know, where the guy we're driving down, like this is what when the guy's working in San Mateo. And uh, you know, also another piece of copperhead trivia, yes, toward the end of my tenure of working in San Mateo, I was you know, there was a guy who had slipped me the odd uh coral hydrate tablet. It was actually Midrin, but that's got coral hydrate in it. And so yes, I was you know, at a very moderate level popping downers to uh get through the last uh hour in that noisy, practically windowless office, but okay. you know, I mean, he said it was a mild barbiturate, and I have to say I beg to differ, but you know, yeah, like the, you know, Freddie King going down, I mean, you know, to me it was like, you know, you know, using that song kind of signified two things, like at that point, the character, John Gregor, he's like, you know, put a fork in me, I'm done, you know, I can't hang here, you know, so, you know, you could think of him as, you know, having, you know, gone, gone down at that job, but also that's when he figures, okay, now I've got more time to uh, focus on that lawsuit. And so you could also look at going down as, I guess you could say, taking the uh, low road, you know, and that's mm-hmm. probably one of my favorite blues songs ever. I mean, Freddie King, I mean, you just can't beat him, you know, he was like the closest thing the blues had to heavy metal. Um, uh-huh. And I guess, We'll do a two-way tie because these chapters are interconnected. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. everything 
smells like horseshit down on the farm. That's from down on the farm by UK subs. And then uh, the next one, who's a nonconformer, not me, baby, from the face of song, Borsa Boys, is, you know, working in that, uh, you know, appliance store, you know. And it's just, oh, my God. I mean, you know, those, those couldn't have been, you know, more perfect uh, chapter title choices and songs to reference in that case, you know, because uh, – you know, it's just, I mean, it was very, very corporate, very sterile. You know, the there was nothing enlivening about the atmosphere, which I think is a must for any workplace because you want, you know, energized workers. You want mm-hmm. people to be, you know, filled with pep so that they can, you know, remember at least enough energy and, you know, also with the presence of mind to remember that they're at work and they have to channel that energy productively, but at least they should have the energy in the first place. But, you know, it, you know, the place that that was based on a certain, um, it's kind of like Walmart meets Radio Shack. I'm not going to mention the business name, you know, mm-hmm. for your protection and mine. But, you know, it's, sure. well, I know for a fact it's run by a uh, self-aggrandizing jerk. If anything, I read about the guy in the papers is true. And um, also, you know, judging from the uh, work conditions. I mean, you know, we had to dress like Mormons. I got mistaken for a Mormon a couple of times, you know, coming home in my work right. clothes. And, you know, it's just drab, 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 drab. And, you you know, by your, you, you know, it's and then, you know, it's like you get stuck there, you know, putting away tiny little microchips, and they all have to be, a court, like, on their hook you know, according to the serial number, and you can't always find the serial number and because there's, you know, miscommunications with inventory and warehouse and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, and another job I used to leave with a splitting headache. I mean, I was, you know, sneaking sodas to, you know, I needed, I needed my Coke and my Dr. Pepper. Otherwise, I wasn't going to make it, man. Right. Well, very, very carefully thought out, well-articulated uh for each one, and um, did you ever consider a healthier option to stay awake besides uh, soda? Well, hmm, uh, not. Well, I mean, I, I I wouldn't be have been able to afford it on the wages from uh, that particular job. I mean, yeah, I did the I best it. I could. I mean, at least I wasn't mm-hmm. reaching for crystal meth. I mean, because that that That's wouldn't true. that wouldn't work with me because that you know I tried amphetamines when I was nineteen, just amphetamines, not meth. And I didn't like the way it made me feel, you know, all uh, twitchy and irate and stuttery and whatnot. Yeah, so, I wouldn't want to feel like that. No, don't, you know, I don't, don't even imagine it. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you know, I just needed to, you know, be able to concentrate because it's a, you know, like they make jobs so, I mean, don't get me wrong, every job has an aspect to it that's fucking boring. But, you know, they, you know, what a good boss should do acting more like a leader than a boss is try to make the job fun because at least that way the time will go faster and the work will go faster with it as long as, you know, and, you know, also you can have fun and have it be, uh, you know, you can still be fastidious and precise with your work. I guess it would depend on the job, you know? Absolutely. But it's like they I mean, try to train your survival skills out of you to make you part of the machine. I know I'm exaggerating a bit, but it, there, there should be less of that in the workplace. Agreed, absolutely. Uh, so we're just we're just now getting to the prepared questions. We're already 40 minutes in, and I've been enjoying this conversation so much. So let's get through these quickly. Um, what, James? Do you crave sweets when you write? 
Well, I pray and switch when I write. Hmm. Well, uh, I generally, I mean, let me think. Not quite a bit, but, you know, I, I, you know, I am somewhat prone to chain smoking when I write, like a lot of, uh, well, I got a lot of other writers kind of do that, too. I think Elmore Leonard says he uh, works through uh, almost a pack when he's working. Um, you worry about the lung cancer? Well, <laughs> you had to guilt trip me about my cigarette habit, didn't you? I just I want you to be healthy, that's all. That's cool. I mean, I do my best. I mean, I think I read in the air-conditioned nightmare there was one cat who said, you know, take care of the mind and the rest will follow. And I'd like to think that there's some truth to that, and that's part of the reason why I write. Like, I just mm-hmm. did a video on YouTube where I sort of talk about the situation I'm in where, you know, I took time off, time off from, like, you know, paid work to write this novel, and it put me behind. And also it's just sometimes it's, it's been tricky with the uh, wire transfers and everything like that. And, you know, I don't want to be whining too much or, or you know, make this into a four Yorkshireman style uh, or even initiate something like that about how bad, you know, who has it off. I mean, I know there's always someone worse off than you. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I mentioned, you know, that what I do is basically so that I don't, I mean, you know, okay, so guy has trouble on the job. I mean, you know, better he write about it than, you know, get like a fucking uh, assault rifle with a banana clip and mow people down. Yeah. I mean, you know, like Bukowski had the right idea with uh, factotum and post office. I'm sure he was uh, filled with at least resentment of the people he was surrounded by at some of those mm-hmm. jobs. I mean, it's been a while since I've read those books, but I kind of, you know, I, yeah, you can sort of, uh, it, it was at least palpable that there were people he worked with that he resented, you know, probably usually the bosses <laughs> wouldn't be, well, you know, Bukowski, he was, I think, recklessly rebellious at, you know, mm-hmm. certain jobs. Now, James, can you write while listening to music? Oh, often I have. And uh, it depends. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, classical often works the best. But okay. if there's, like, a particular mood for a particular piece I'm writing, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, pick any kind of music that fits the mood, be it blues, reggae, rock and roll, punk, metal, um, you know, or uh, soul, R&B, like Motown and Stax, like... The reason why I chose the lines from songs to uh, illustrate, um, you, you know, like to, to set the mood for those chapters, well, I was very inspired by what Perry Hensel did to the soundtrack with, with the soundtrack for The Heart of They Come, which is like one of my favorite movies of all time. It's the uh, reggae gangster film starring Jimmy Cliff, and you've also got Prince Buster and Suits Hibbert and the Maypoles, of course, appearing. Uh, in that film, and basically I noticed, you know, having bought, I bought a, a DVD and CD with the film and the soundtrack, and I remember there were times I'd be listening to the soundtrack, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I kind of, it, it's sort of a, uh, you know, a subtle musical synopsis, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the, you know it, it evokes the storyline, and so then, you know, I looked back on the stuff I was listening to when I was, you know, dealing with these uh, litigations and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and I just, 
you, you know, it's like music is very much the soundtrack to our lives. And, you know, and during the period where I was contemplating, uh, you know, suing that one person, I wound up going to a Stiff Little Fingers concert and, you know, heard, loved the music, was singing along, you know, suspect of ice and just kind of, and then I, you know, next day I took a really good listen to music. I was like, wow, you know, and, uh, you know, so basically it's like the uh, music does kind of evoke the story very much. And, you know, it's not surprising that I would use a line from that Black Sabbath song, The Writ, when at the scene where the lawsuit is actually served. You know. Speaking of the lawsuit, sure. Did you have to do outside legal research when you were writing the book, or did you pretty much get the gist of it during what you already went through? Well, I, I was doing legal research when I uh, was doing the lawsuit. However, mm-hmm. for the uh, court scene, I did have to do a uh, – bit of uh, research, and I ran the gist of it by my sister, and she said it was fairly accurate, and she's a paralegal, so I'm going to trust her. Uh, oh, is she? Giving that's, a shout that's out that's to what I am, too. I hope she, I'm a paralegal. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Do your shout-out again. I interrupted you. That's all right. Roz, again, love you. hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> shout-out to Roz. Uh, I am also a paralegal. I hope that she gets treated better than I, I did today. Oh, well, you know, it sounds like you two ought to go out and have a drink. And, you know, yeah, and then the and then the uh, four Yorkshiremen uh, uh uh who's got it worst competition can start, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I went I went to the kitchen today and there was nothing in the refrigerator to eat but glass. <laughs> uh, I I hate that. I hate when I have to eat the glass. So um, we actually have a tr- question in the chat room, James. This is from Dace in the chat room. Uh, is this book available to buy in Australia? I think she means as a hard copy, or can I buy it online somewhere? It's online at smashwords.com. Just search uh, uh, Copperhead by James Conrad at smashwords.com. Okay, great. Looks like we got you a new customer here. Good um, morning. I sold two this month. That's awesome. Let's keep it going. Uh, hopefully we'll sell a little more tonight. How many, how many drafts did you have to, to write until you, you came to a final copy of this of Copperhead? Oh, Jesus. I mean, you know, one thing I've noticed, and, you know, my brother warned me of this, that I would go through multiple drafts, and he's dead right. I mean, you know, when he's doing graphic novel pieces, I mean, he you know often has his trusty ink eradicator handy to uh, just in case he wants to add to or subtract details from the uh, final drawings and stuff. But, I mean, you know, when I'm, when I'm entrenched in a project of the magnitude of Copperhead or The Ideal Man, where we're talking books either side of 100,000 words, I do wind up going through several drafts. Um, mm-hmm. And I often lose count because, uh, you know, I have also worked as an editor and, you know, I've, well, I think that I've read enough books to um, understand how a good book should feel, you know. Right. And I've read, you know, Hubert Selby Jr., who totally rebels against the rules of grammar and punctuation, but pulls it off so, so adeptly and cleverly. And then, you know, you've got, like, uh, people who are a little bit more proper, like Sir Kingsley Amos, and then, of course, you know, essayists like, you know, G.K. Chesterton and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
And, you know, it's just you kind of have to treat every author as an individual and sort of get a feel for the, the arena in which they're working. You know, like, for example, one of my favorite authors these days is uh, Justin Halpern, author of Shit My Dad Says and I Suck at Girls. Um, you know, he's a masterful writer and a natural storyteller and the way he describes things, and it's very, very vivid. And I think that, you know, by osmosis, I've picked up maybe a few tricks from him. And I think the same would go for uh, Lorenzo Carcaterra, who is a uh, – you know, he's becoming a bit of a friend of mine and also a big supporter as well. I mean, you know, we definitely have the political values in common. And, uh, you know, I'm a very big fan of his book, Sleepers. The movie was not bad. I just wish I saw a little more of Fat Mancho because when he, when he first appears in his first line is, uh, fuck you, punk, wet your pants. I mean, I almost lost my, literally almost lost mm-hmm. my place in the book laughing my ass off. And it was just so well-timed. <laughs> sure. Um, and I understand that you brought a clip of Copperhead to, to share. Do you want to go ahead and set up the clip? Um, I think I might be able to uh, hold that up on the laptop. It might take a little while for it to load up. Uh, just oh. to turn it on. I did bring the key drive, which is good. I knew I was going to need that. Okay. All right, I'm going to go ahead and play the clip. This is uh, from Copperhead by James Conrad. Uh, We'll be right back with James. One resident describes her horrifying experience when she first realized the complex was on fire. Well, I woke up to go get me a cold pop, and then I thought somebody was barbecuing. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. (laughs) Then I ran out. I didn't grab no shoes or nothing, Jesus. I ran for my life, and then the smoke got me. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. Fascinating, fascinating stuff, James. Do you do you ever find it that you write better without pants? Without pants? Yeah. No, you know, uh, never noticed that really. I mean, you know, I mean, if, if it, basically if I am under the gun about anything, you know, I'll. I've literally worked at, you know, every hour of the day. I mean, at some po- some points I've done literally 20-hour days, uh, only taking breaks to, you know, head to McDonald's to uh, get a cheeseburger or something, you know. So, I mean, if anything, I always, you know, besides which also I get very fastidious when I do write the novels and also the articles I've done online. So, I mean, it, it just it can happen at any hour of the day. So, you know, I've written with pants and I've written without pants, but... Either way, I always try to, you know, make sure that what I'm doing is uh, up to my, you know, standards. You know, I have to like it enough before I can put it out, you know. And a a guy I actually edited a book for, he said that good art is never completed, just abandoned. And I think that, that that's true. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Was your... um celebration of the uh, the publication of Ideal Man and Ideal Celebration? Oh, well, I think there were, I think there were numerous uh, celebrations, and you know, in some ways, I mean, it's something that I always, always do celebrate deep in my heart, because, you know, signing that publishing contract was the greatest day of my life, but you know, I mean, um, and of course, at the readings, I mean, you know, I generally often 
<laughs> well, yeah, of course, you know, if I, if I you, you know, he goes to work high to do telemarketing, he wouldn't go on stage high, would he? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, I'm sensing some sarcasm there. Well, you know, hell, I've gone on, you know, back when in my early 20s, was that there were a couple of times where I went on stage tripping my balls off. On, um, like, what, what, mushrooms? I think at least, at least one time it was mushrooms and another time it was acid. And you're going on stage doing what, reading your stuff? It was poetry in those days, yeah. Oh, okay. That was and a fun how, time in my life, man. Did it affect your performance, like, negatively at all, or it was fine? Oh, um, well, that one time I was tripping on acid, I mean, it was kind of scary because, like, you know, the beer light was, it looked like the beer light was bleeding, and there was a guy heckling me, and it sounded like 10,000 guys heckling me, and uh, it, it sort of felt like the Blues Brothers, and I didn't know uh, Rawhide, and there was no chicken wire, but then the audience applauded, and uh, I was like, oh, thanks, fuck, and then, you know, while I'm trying to mm-hmm. film, you know, our prom could have drawn this. Here I am, you know, I've got long hair down to my waist, a full beard, a red hot chili peppers shirt, and bell bottoms of all things. And this guy, mm-hmm. he's, you know, in a suit with a brush cut, a fucking brush cut, and those black horn rim glasses and a goddamn martini, and he's calling me a communist and a socialist, and I'm just uh-huh. kind of looking at him like, dude, you know, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing here? And, you know, I didn't have to say a goddamn thing to him because the woman I was selling a chapbook to, uh, her boyfriend stepped in and popped him, basically, and just kind of was like, you know, leave the kid alone. Why are liberals called communists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I definitely have been getting a taste of, you know, being called a communist uh, participant in OccuChat on Twitter, which I do mm-hmm. as well. Jesus, so, that's, that's quite the story. Yeah. Can you, James, can you use food stamps as mailing stamps to save money on postage? <laughs> no. Wouldn't try Fair either. Enough. I mean, you know, if it's for food, it's for food. You know, and besides, you know, like a lot of, um seems like, you know, mail is, is starting to kind of become obsolete mm-hmm. uh, because of, you know, you know, so many, so many things on the Internet are free. Like you can read the classics for free on the Internet, for example, Shakespeare, Paul Tillich. Khalil Gibran, Nietzsche, Chesterton, Tennyson, all these people, you know. Right. But um, I, 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 it's been a while since I actually mailed something, come to think of it. I mean, we are living in this uh, Philip K. Dick novel kind of bizarre. His, his predictions came true, most of them. Right. I see. And James, do you prefer people reading your book on a Nook, Kindle, or iPad? I prefer people reading my book. Doesn't matter what device? No, I mean, you know, I definitely want to get it into uh, print at at some point. But for Mm -hmm. now, I'm doing the e-publishing route because, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. uh, Signing a publishing contract will always be one of the greatest days of my life. And, you know, certainly often it is the, I look upon it as the greatest day of my life. But Mm -hmm. it's just, um, you know, the, the thing about small presses, I mean, yes, granted, you do get a lot of artistic freedom. On the other hand, you know, it can make dealing with the bureaucracy of getting your book into the proper shops like Barnes & Noble and whatever other mom-and-pop bookshops you can scare up 
I mean, I don't even want to go into that because it's just, you know, like, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, the bureaucracy is dreadful because, you know, especially if, you, if, you're, if you're the one who has to kind of sell the book yourself and your small press company uses print on demand, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say anything negative against the publisher of The Ideal Man. I owe the guy personally because, uh, you know, he basically enabled me to have so kind of a consolidation of the tools that I would need for the rest of my life. But okay. at the same time, you know, you know, print on demand, I mean, it is what it is. And also sometimes you get stigmatized for uh, doing print on demand and everything. So it's just, you know, the challenge is, you know, not only do you have to be a good writer, but you also have to, uh, you know, find your audience and reach your audience. It's like uh, it's, you kind of think of like Grant Green saying, uh, you know, the uh, jazz guitarist, Grant Green, he said that, you know, he felt he had to be a businessman first and a musician second. You know, I've worked in sales, but I just don't quite have the businessman's mentality because I was very, I'm very much a born writer and it's, Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the one life-affirming thing that I'm good at, really. I well, hear you on that one. It's, it's tough to, to deal with the business aspect of, of the arts. You know, I, for years I've dealt with that in acting. Now doing this, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a, that's a whole different beast. Um, but, James, you are, speaking of the audience, the audience you're writing for, have you ever considered turning one of your books into a screenplay? Um, what I would like to do, since I don't really know much about writing screenplays per se, I'm sure the the formatting can be picked up a bit, but there's also other, you know, fine points is that I'd want to, you know, sit down with a print copy or a printout of one of my books and, you know, basically sit down with a, uh, an established and accomplished screenwriter with a, you know, copy of the book or a printout of the book and a black magic marker and see what we can put in. I often write my books with a film in mind. Um, and like in the case of Copperhead, one book that really impacted me as the book, as Copperhead was being brainstormed was uh, Papillon by Henri Charrier, where it later made into a movie with uh, Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. Now, what I liked about the book Papillon, besides the fact that it's a 500-page epic that you cannot put down, um, was the dynamics of the storyline where he, you know, escapes and keeps getting recaptured and escapes and keeps getting recaptured. And you see, you know, the suspense because, you know, you sort of, you know, it's determined, you know, uh, Papillon's determination becomes contagious for you. And the movie... Um, with Steve McQueen, you know, a, you know, definitely a uh, great way to spend a couple and a half hours in my, in my book. I mean, it's a long movie, but it's certainly a worthwhile watch. Beautifully shot and everything. And Steve McQueen, as we all know, is, you know, he was the man. Um, you know, you still get a lot of the suspense in the movie. But the one part about that movie that disappoints me is they left out the part where he faked crazy. I would have loved to see Steve, Steve McQueen fake crazy. And also... It's different from the book. Instead of about the book being book being about uh, several prison breaks, the movie is just about one. But then again, I mean, editing 500 pages down to two and a half hours of celluloid, I mean, that's difficult decisions have to be made, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. Would you, James Conrad, would you consider selling your soul to make one of your books a New York Times bestseller? Um... 
I'd really rather not. And, you know, at this stage of the game, um, well, I'll put it to you this way. I mean, I got fuck you. When I was putting out, um, you know, trying to get Ideal Man published, I got fuck you letters from every agent and every small press uh, company in New York City. And um, I definitely would, you know, if, if, if you know, I, I, okay, a mass distribution deal would be nice. Um, if I, as long as I had an understanding agent who knew how to do business with editors, but you know that's, you know that's not something I really have a lot of emotional stake in at that, at this point. I mean, truth of the matter is, I mean I know that you know a lot. This is a big market in um, entertainment is crap, you know crap, 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 crap. And don't get me wrong, I mean we've got some great ones like Justin Halpern, but that. Fucking Twilight, for one, and you've heard me complain bitterly about that particular franchise. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's that. And also, one author I really can't stand is that fucking Tucker Max and his hope that, you know, it's basically, well, for one thing, I mean, we've already had Charles Bukowski, and at least Charles Bukowski was introspective. I mean, this is just a guy, you know, he's the sort of guy, like, at the bar who, you know, gets in your face and starts telling you, these stories about him being a complete and utter drunken douchebag. And you just kind of, you're like, you know, you nod and smile, but only with your mouth because you just want the guy to get the, get the fuck away from you and you chew your arm off to uh, do just that. Right. Boy, it's a crazy world we live in. Crazy world. No doubt. Seems we, we are running low on time, but I want to, I want to, to uh, end with this, what advice would you give people who are going through some stuff at work or being um, mistreated by their employers? What would you say to these folks? Keep an eye on your boss. Uh, num- that's number one. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. also, as Joe Strummer aptly put it, know your rights. You know, too many people in this country take their rights for granted. Um, you know, you see this in people who are, who should sue but don't, and also people who vote in elected officials against their uh, best economic and other best interests. So that's number two. Know your rights, and you know, also don't be. You know, I mean, you don't want to threaten first. I mean, you just kind of want to, you know, you know, be discreet about your intentions for sure. That's mm-hmm. another important. Uh, thing to do because you don't want your anyone getting wise to your devious little plan. I know because I've made that mistake myself. Not that there were much adverse effects, but still, you know, you can't be too careful. What else can I tell them? Um, and, you know, also, don't be afraid to, you know, if your boss is doing something that's, you know, definitely against some sort of law, be it, um, you know, embezzlement, which I have seen before and didn't say anything about. Uh, I regret I regret not saying anything about it. But then again, I was really it, it was years after I'd left the place before I began to put the pieces together. I mean, I was 19 years old. What do you goddamn want? Embezzlement, right. uh, lunch break violations, health code violations. This goes hand in hand with keeping an eye on your boss. You know, if you see any of those, and you know, after you. You know, especially after you get out of the work situation in question, uh, don't be afraid to call the dogs on your boss. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, because you've got to stand up for yourself. I mean, granted, I mean, unfortunately, some my brother said that, you know, oh, if there's civil action, uh, you know, going on with you in every job, they're going to think you're a loony tune. But you know something? You know, I got fed up. And yeah. if you get fed up, show them that you're fed up. Right. Well, there you have it. If you get fed up, show them that you're fed up. Sound advice from James Conrad. The book. Thanks again. Copperhead. It's available at smashwords.com. Also, an ideal man is available uh, wherever ebooks are the sold. The ideal man. The ideal man. Right. Yeah, you'd have to order uh, it because uh, they, you know, troubles getting it properly stocked. But you can order it at like uh, just about any bookstore, and you can also order it on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Copperhead will also be on Amazon shortly. Oh, great. All right. So there we go. For that lady in the chat room, if you want to buy Copperhead, go to smashwords.com for now. Shortly it will be available on Amazon. Uh, James, I look forward to continuing the conversation another time on this program with you. Oh, no, no. Uh, always, a ple- always a pleasure, my friend. Oh, likewise, likewise. Be talking to you soon, Ryan, and may the road rise to meet you. <laughs> Peace and power, my friend. Peace and power. Peace and power. Right on. Take care. There we go. You too. Good night. All right. That was James Conrad, author of Copperhead. Um, And uh, I just saw that my uh, coworker and friend, Matt Vasky, just uh, posted on my uh, wall something about, uh, well, actually, uh, my coworker, Rachel, posted, and then Vasky also posted about this particular event that happened earlier at work, and they're joking around about it. Uh, it was really quite traumatic, um, but, yeah, the audacity of cooking breakfast at 11 in the morning. Oh, God, what a day. Um, I'm going to go shower this day off of myself, and I hope you all had a better day than I did. Uh, thank goodness I could talk to James about this very topic tonight. And, um, Dave, thanks for joining the chat room. Uh, I see it says, uh, great show, Ryan James, looking into the books now. Sounds like a good read. See you next week. I thank you for your loyal listenership, and um, we'll see you next week. Uh, next week, we're back 9 p.m. Eastern time with Michelle Kinney and Alicia Rachel Becker. We're doing the um, Heroin Sing Part 2. Uh, the heroines are singing soul music this time. And also, I will be attending a digital press conference for the the program tomorrow, and uh, the interviews from that will be up shortly. I'll announce that as soon as I can kind of understand what these artists want to promote. Um, So, remember, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. Hit the brakes, Florence, and if you have a Barbie, take her bend her backwards, cut off her hair, and uh, burn her knuckles on the stove, and leave her in some drawers. We'll leave you with the adult contemporary chart-topping hit hit song, Seen in San Francisco with Blazing Ride guest and Blazing Ride favorite, Mr. Ed Hale. Good night, everybody. The letter I that I've written I know you won't believe it But I I want to talk about it 
You can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.